Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm back after a two-week break. I'm sure you'll be delighted to hear. Have we got a full house in here today? I'm joined by Bradley Gerard. How are you doing, Bradley? Good afternoon, John. Doing very well. Good. Alex Newman. Hello. How are you, Alex? Fine, thanks. John. Good. And we're going to talk about the cover feature in a bit that, uh, that you've put together and fascinating it is. Graham Davis. How are you, Graham? Hey, John. Very well, thanks. Yeah, good. And uh, Harriet Russell. How are you, Harriet? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. And Dom. Tom's. Doing very well, thank you. Yeah, it's, very, it's, it's a party in here today. <laughs> a party. Um, so, yeah, I hear the, the last two weeks have gone very well. I hear Ian, Ian Smith, Deputy Company's editor, did a wonderful job comparing these podcasts. Uh, I hear he had a slightly different approach to me. He was um, organised. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, you know, he, he likes to know what he's doing. He's just an organised chap. That's, yeah. uh, that's how he works. He is. And, you know, but we like, to, we like to mix things up a bit we at the do. IC. So, you know, we're back to fly by the seat of the pants. Let's start with news, Bradley. I guess to start off with, uh, worth looking at the big sort of macro news uh, first. Uh, some data from the OECD out this week, and they've cut their forecast for global GDP next year. We've mentioned this in the seven days section, but also Chris Dillow did a longer form piece on it as well. And then um, Chris's piece is really interesting because it kind of points to a few things that you might not necessarily think are happening. He highlights that US GDP growth is now just 2% a year compared with an average of 3.3 for the 50 years to 2007. He highlights that the baby boomers are retiring, so the size of the labour force is shrinking over there and globally. And also, it's not just demand side, but it's actually supply side as well. So there's been a lot of worry about demand, obviously, with commodities in China, that sort of thing. But apparently, supply side is an issue as well. Yeah, well, Chris is a big fan of the secular stagnation theory. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what he's he's getting at here. I think it is, yeah. I mean, he, he, it's not, it's, he's not just sort of laying down his views on um, on paper. He is speaking to economists as well, so he's kind of trying to get a, a balanced and informed view. But yeah, it seems to be that the picture is that you know, global growth is going to slow down. So I guess that's really important for the types of companies that investors and our readers are thinking about looking at. Yes, I mean, today, um, obviously not in the magazine this week, but we had a massive profit warning today, which is a biggie. Rolls-Royce. Yeah, Rolls-Royce, exactly. So things like that where they're sort of big blue-chip companies that sort of seem safe. I mean, it's absolutely worth understanding, yeah, as we always say, understand the business you're investing in. And you could argue Rolls-Royce isn't sort of like a Quindell or anything. It's not so complicated. You can't understand what it does. But you need to understand the drivers and the, the areas which it serves, its customers, that type of thing. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there have been a few problems at Rolls-Royce for a while. But the, the today's, I think the share price is down 20% the last time we looked. And that's just today. I mean, that's so, massive. I mean, that's massive for, for a company huge, of yeah. that size. And I guess it's a worry. Not well, it depends on your perspective, I suppose. But they have had a bit of um, interest from an activist investor who's on their shareholder register. I think they're called Value Act, if I remember rightly. So this might be, you know, more ammunition in their favour. So I guess if you're a shareholder in Rolls in Royce, there's a lot of um, homework to do at the moment. Well, I am a shareholder in Rolls Royce, as I have disclosed before in the magazine and on this podcast. I won't be selling. Because well, no, why would well, you say after after a fall of that magnitude? Yeah. I mean, you know, Rolls Royce is not like it's done anything wrong. This is, the, I mean, right. and Graham, we were talking about this earlier. Hmm. You're not a guy who's easily ruffled, and you know, I I, I just I, I kind of thought there was some some general concern about the global Absolutely. economy yeah, there I mean, in in, in, we, in your we, face. We were talking about it in our in our news meeting earlier on. Um, you know, there, there are when when people like Rolls Royce are getting hit as they are. There is, and it's just coming out in all the trading states, statements we're seeing at the moment, particularly from the industrial engineers. There's just a sense of iffy economic conditions in the last couple of months. Eurozone industrial production figures weren't great yesterday. Global growth forecasts for next year have been downgraded. It, there's just an iffy feeling around there at the moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I'm, I am a natural pessimist. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I have to say, I have to admit, but yeah, the, the, we're looking, the, the numbers are backing up my pessimism now. This is not looking great at all. No. Um, any, anything else in you know, seven days that's sort of backing up that view, Bradley, that you've noticed this week? Well, I guess, I mean, I, I, maybe on the on the sort of counter side in, in news, you've kind of got the fact that um, AstraZeneca, um, again, another sort of staple, I suspect, of lots of our readers' portfolios, um, was able to get away a um, $6 billion bond, which I think is the something like the seventh largest dollar bond ever issued by a UK company. Yeah, but it's AstraZeneca. I mean... Yeah, but then you could you say, know. yeah, it's Rolls-Royce. I mean, you know, I'm just sort of... I, yeah, well, I, d- I doubt Rolls-Royce would struggle to get a bond issue if it wanted to do one. No, true, um, but it just sort of points to the, um, I suppose, the, uh, you know, the support that different companies are having in the cycle. Yeah, true. I mean, uh, Harry, any, any specific observations about the Astra uh, bond issue? Yeah, I mean, I spoke to a couple of analysts, none of whom agreed to go on the record about it. It's obviously quite a touchy subject, but but the the general consensus or feeling was that, you know, they've, they've just been opportunistic. The bond market is particularly ripe for this kind of raising right now. And, I mean, the amount that they raised funds their latest acquisition of ZS Pharma two times over. Um, so they reckon that the surplus cash will just be really tucked away for a rainy day and, and used to further fund deals down the line. Okay, so, so basically... It's uh, it's a rainy day fund for for acquisitions as they pop up. Yeah, absolutely. They said you know nothing else is on the table as yet, but um, but yeah, they'll just put it away. Okay, okay. It's not all bad news. No, I mean, so, so, so I'm looking here, Barrett. They're they're doing okay. Yeah, they seem to have done quite well. I mean, we've we've talked on the podcast, I think, a few times and in the magazine over recent weeks about the trends that are ongoing in the housing sector. You've got obviously the estate agents, some of whom are starting to struggle. You've got the companies that supply builders merchants that sort of thing and you've got the house builders themselves there's a few sort of different ways to play the housing market and barrett it seems uh they had a, a pretty good trading update i mean their forward sales were up from 2 billion last year to 2.5 billion this year that's helped in part by the help to buy scheme now running until 2020 there are some issues again which we talked about before sort of the costs cost rising and labor shortages that sort of thing but it seems that barrett's in quite good shape really yeah it looks like it. And I guess that, that kind of reads through as well to the, I mean, you talk about good news and, you know, the UK economy, um, unemployment reached a post-crisis low. So that's a, a good thing. And although um, wages didn't rise quite as fast as the consensus was hoping, the fact that unemployment is so low might well be um, you know, a thing that the rate setting committee over at the Bank of England are going to have to think about because they keep obviously putting off raising interest rates. Yet with a strong metric like that, you have to wonder, you know, that takes something away from them, surely. Yeah, last last I looked, the uh, interest rate rise expectations for the UK have been pushed out to 2017. Um, not not necessarily the case over in the US, obviously. Uh, we haven't talked really about that that much this week, but obviously speculation is mounting of a of an increase in December over, over in the US by the Fed. Yeah. But Graham, as we were discussing earlier, those um, issues that we're seeing around companies like Rolls Royce, you know, perhaps uh, again. That may uh, put pay to, yeah, to, to an increase over there. It, it could be external factors that, that just put the US off again. I mean, we were talking earlier on about the strength of the dollar. Um, did they want to make it even stronger? It's not helping global trade, and, and certainly co- companies which which trade in different jurisdictions and different currencies uh, are really struggling with it. Yeah, so, yeah, they may just be forced back again. I mean, a lot of people are now saying December looks quite likely, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? It's, it's a bit of this divergence, if it does happen between the central banks, is going to be a really interesting factor as well. Yeah, I heard, I heard some talk of uh, some stimulus on the way in China this week. Yeah. Obviously, China is China must be a big part of the, 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 this slowdown story. I mean, they're huge yeah. and they they trade with everybody. And 
It's they're the, slowing. It it's, seems as though every time we get some poor data out of China, everyone says, oh, well, that's more stimulus then. Uh, if it comes, I'm, I'm not sure. But um, that, that, that seems to be the way that everyone, everybody takes, takes the sting out of yet more poor data from China. It seems to be, let's talk up stimulus again. Yeah, and that's the way they've taken the sting out of any poor data from anywhere. I mean, yeah. you know, the same in Europe. Although I hear this week, there's, you know, there's some pretty heavy-hitting voices now suggesting that perhaps European stimulus is a waste of time because it's not actually filtering through to the economy as... Mm. We kind of knew it never did all <laughs> no. along, but but Hasn't there you go. But no. there you go. Okay, let's look elsewhere in the, the news section. We've got a big big deal in the financial services industry, which is uh, I mean fascinating. Yeah, I mean you're referring to obviously the Talat Prebon ICAP deal. Um, it's, it's it is an interesting one. They're, they've um, historically the two companies have been quite vicious rivals in what's quite a sort of crowded. Uh, marketplace so the fact they've kind of uh, yeah done this deal is interesting just even by itself but what it will basically mean is that um talent prebon will buy the hybrid voice broking business from icap which sounds um incredibly sexy doesn't I've it? i've no idea what it means it basically means calling up people and doing finance deals rather than doing it over the computer great so a bit old school yeah um but talent's bought this business from icap and it will um it it was interesting because actually Talit's shares kind of fell and ICAP's rose a bit, but I guess Talit must see some value in having by far, I think, the biggest sort of voice-broking desk around. I no. mean, I think its um, footprint in the US market, I understand from Ian, who wrote the piece, is, is the, the largest, and that's a very important thing. But the instant reaction wasn't massively positive in terms of how the share price moved. No, no. Another big deal seems to be uh, likely to go through the AB InBev takeover of SAB. Move a step closer. Yeah, again, I mean, actually, I'm covering SAB's results today. They posted half years, and um, I mean, the results call, it was almost as if um, you know, there weren't results because every question was about the deal, which got almost confirmed yesterday as good as. The terms of the deal in the announcement yesterday remain the same. So, it, what looks like has happened is that AB InBev has managed to get Sab Miller to sell its um, its share in the US joint venture. And who's buying that? The existing partner, which is Molson causes Molson the company course, yeah. I, I, and Miller causes the JV, which is why it's so confusing. I think I think we pretty much suggested that would happen a few weeks ago. I think there was, yeah, I mean, every analyst that I spoke to was saying that they'll either have to get rid of part of their US business or their China business. So the announcement yesterday that Sab is going to sell its um, stake in the joint venture in the US seems to have cleared the way. Obviously, it's not a done deal yet. It still needs full shareholder approval but the board is recommending the 44 pound a share offer the two largest shareholders are also backing the deal so it's not a done deal yet because there's no ink on paper but it looks like a key barrier has been removed all right okay um let's turn to results you yep. mentioned results there you seem to have written quite a lot of them this week bradley it's been busy yeah so what's been your highlight of the week in terms of results who's, who's had a good week I guess um, Premier Foods has a good week. It's been one of those, well, it continues to be, I suppose, one of those turnaround stories. Um, it's composed of, I guess, the company would like to call them sort of like, you know, all-weather all brands, brands that will always just endure things like, you know, Bisto Gravy and that sort of thing that you can't kind of, that, w- that will always be there. I think that's how they would like to see them. Hovis. Hovis, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Oxo, those sorts of things. Mr. Kipling. Mr. Kipling, of course. Angel's Delight. We could go on. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting a bit hungry, though. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's had a bit of a tough time, but some a fairly new management have come in and they've um, got a bit of a plan for the business. And it seems to be sort of gaining traction. Um, they're developing new products. They've got Paul Hollywood on board to uh, launch a new range of art. Well, that's it. It's a buy products. in that case. Well, then. Exactly. It's, a, it's a raging buy. Well, we already had it on a buy, uh, a pre-Paul Hollywood uh, <laughs> buy. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, it seems like it's a fairly good value. Obviously, it is 
um, it is involved in the pressures that you know supermarkets face. Um, but management claim that it has, um, you know, they their words are sort of a, a captaincy position in terms of. Um, having brands that supermarkets want to stock and mm. supermarkets and their other customers apparently often consult with them about different developments in products. So, yeah. well, that, well that, that sounds like a change of, of uh, hearts from the supermarkets because when I was covering Premier Foods, which I did at the same time I was covering the supermarkets, they had a massive falling out with Tesco. Really? Uh, yeah, over Hovis. Uh, you know, Tesco wanted them to uh, to cut the prices, and, yeah. and uh, Premier didn't want to, yeah. and Tesco delisted them. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly wary of these captaincy positions. Of course, because, yeah, and that's, uh, that's, that's wise to be so, because it's obviously the company is going to say that. They're not going to say, yeah, our products are like third, yeah. third wrong. But there is, there is an ongoing thing in the supermarkets whereby they are all pretty much looking at stocking less number of brands, and there is definitely an argument and obviously the management will make this, but it seems to hold true. There is an argument that Premier will kind of succeed in that, given that um, it does have some you know, well-known brands. Yeah, so. it's true. We buy Hovis. There you go. Old school brand. Been yeah. around a long time. Good brand to own. I mean, while we're on the subject of supermarkets, Sainsbury's, how did how did they get on? It's an interesting one. I feel like Sainsbury's really splits opinion these days. Obviously, there's, there's so much more excitement, I suppose, around... An, Tesco and Morrison's, there's a lot more to discuss in terms of recovery. Those stocks are also priced for massive recovery. Yeah, Stephen's mentioned that in his column this week, and he's not convinced that it's it's time to buy Tesco. No, no. Tesco is trading extremely expensively, which which suggests that the market expects it to, to make a big turnaround. However, I've seen a couple of rather convincing notes on on Sainsbury's that says that you know the market's actually undervalued. It trains, trades extremely cheaply at the moment, and it, it sort of undervalues the method employed by Mike Coop and Co., which uh, is sort of a steady as she goes. Really, there's been a lot of discussion, obviously, about Sainsbury's being in the squeeze middle, uh, discounters at one end, and then premium like M&S Food at the other, and Sainsbury sort of lost its way a bit. Personally, I think I'm starting to disagree with that i think you know the the numbers don't make for fantastic reading at first Mm. glance but um we've done quite a long a long piece of analysis on it this week and when you put several things into context it's actually quite encouraging yeah one of the interesting things that it wasn't a factor in sainsbury's when i was covering them Mm -hmm. uh, several years ago was netto yeah now so you know we obviously we talk about Sainsbury's being in the squeeze middle but it's but it's sort of taken steps to to regain some of that ground from the bottom end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's interesting about that as well is that it's doing it with a foreign partner as well. So it's not only tapping into the rise of the discounters in the UK, but it's also sort of leveraging this Scandinavian market as well. So uh, so yeah, I think that's that's very encouraging. There wasn't a huge amount of information on Netto at these sets of results, but... Uh, but it's still quite small in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it is still quite small, but it is, it's rolling out. And John Rogers, the CFO, did say that he was going to sort of provide a much more thorough update on Netto at the time of the prelims next May. So uh, that's definitely something to look forward to, yeah. Okay, and uh, and you've uh, taken the bold step of upgrading them to a speculative buy as that well. I, did. I heard a bit of debate going on. <laughs> uh... Stephen's unconvinced, but you know he has just spent most of the week looking at this uh, looking at this sector as well. So I think we have had quite a thorough discussion on what our sector pick would be. And I think in the grocery sector, it's so hard to pick a pick a champion right now. There is a huge problem which faces all of them um, around discounting. So uh, it's going to be who comes out on top of the price war. Well, I mean. We're talking about the big supermarkets. The grocery, cha- the, the champion of the grocery sector is Booker, surely. Mm, well, of course. Apart, yeah. Of course. Booker aside. Uh, the perennial, you know, core holding. But, is, uh, 
but you know if if you're really talking about traditional big brand supermarkets then then yeah i mean my pick right now is sainsbury's yeah i tend to agree with you on that one i would tend to agree with you well done harriet (laughs) always good to agree with the boss (laughs) okay Let's uh, let's kind of wrap up results. A couple of uh, more in the food industry, which I which I like. Yeah, uh, take an old day request. Yeah, again, um, interesting businesses, slightly different. Yeah, very different. Um, you think of sugar when you hear Tate and Lyle, but I think the word sugar appeared in about twice in their sort of like 40 page results. It's all about alternative types of sugar now, stevia, um, allulose, which apparently has 90% less calories and sugar but yeah not heard, sugar. heard that one before I must it's admit. a new one that's why right. so yeah they're they're sort of pushing forward with that dairy crest a very new chapter for them again the word dairy kind of feels redundant now they've just sold their dairies they're focusing on other other areas like branded margarine product, branded products, branded products well. yeah, yeah margarine so. butter maybe more towards butter because they're kind of their suggestion was that consumers are going for what they perceive to be more natural products and they perceive butter to be more natural than margarine spread so yeah, apparently butter's not bad for you anymore I th- yeah it's a weird one it's um i think it's just more natural it's that drive towards nat- natural things that are kind of driving a lot of consumer behavior and that's relevant in tate and lyle and dairy crest really because with tate and lyle they're obviously very keen to develop these new types of sugar these like health conscious brands that are out there you know things like coca-cola life and that sort of thing i mean tate and lyle are, are going to be sort of fighting tooth and nail to develop the next sort of type of sugar or sugar equivalent to go in these sorts of products and then you've got you know dairy crest going for kind of more natural products in terms of butter so it, there's kind of a they kind of touch upon a, a consumer trend there really and, and both are fighting very hard to make sure they're at the forefront of it yeah no i've always again i've always been a big fan of dairy crest i have to say um and uh, you know again brand captaincy yeah yeah i mean again, huge huge presence in supermarkets old cathedral city and exactly yeah clover and whatever else they've got yeah. so uh i even i must admit i'm a bit partial to the old fridge do, do they make the fridge anymore do you know what I, I i used to love drinking that then i looked at the back of it and oh my god yeah I mean... it's brilliant it's so bad for you i love it <laughs> anyway thank you bradley thank you harriet talking of being bad for you it's certainly bad for your portfolio let's let's uh alex let's talk about what could potentially be bad for your portfolio in the years ahead and uh hydrocarbons certainly fits the bill there and you've looked at this uh issue this week in relation to the speech mark carney gave a few weeks back now and uh which we spoke about at the london investor show which mm. uh, which you were uh, a presence at recently so uh, let's talk about uh, this cover feature don't get burnt sure it's probably best to start with uh, explaining for those of you who didn't see or, or or hear or read the reports of mark Connie's speech he essentially flagged the risk to uh, holders of oil and gas companies or holders in, in any exposure to carbon intensive companies that the risk of there being stranded assets, that, that essentially means assets which oil, oil gas or, or coal, which can't be burnt if we're going to stay within two degrees of, of global warming. The risk of those companies' values being derated is enormous. So, we- so, so currently we value oil and gas companies essentially mm-hmm. on the value of their reserves. Yeah. So what, what they've got in the ground that they're going to get out in the future. Yeah. But the environmental impact of burning them is such that the, the reality or the potential reality that Mark Kahn is referring to is that you can't actually burn them all. Yeah, so the, the IPCC, which is the, the UN body which is, is uh, tasked with assessing with what we're going to do about climate change, has suggested that there's about 3 trillion tonnes of CO2 which can be burnt by 2050. If you if you try and put that into uh, barrels of oil, that, relate, that essentially uh, leaves us with about 20% of the reserves you, you speak about which sit on the, the balance sheets of oil and gas companies. So there is an enormous long-term risk. We're not saying sell Shell, sell BP. These are obviously incredibly important parts of, of, of many portfolios. 
nonetheless, we wanted to flag the, the long-term risk, which I think we agree with Mark Carney remains there. And it's, it's you know, a very good point ahead of the, the Paris Climate Talks this month to raise this issue. Well, I'd agree. I mean, there are certainly many people out there who would not necessarily agree with the idea that, that burning hydrocarbons has anything to do with global warming anyway. But, mm. I mean, I guess the science is starting to move against that, that particular view but, uh, I mean, the potential, I mean, looking at this chart you put together, the potential impacts on some of these guys is, is enormous. Yeah, so, I mean, this, 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 this chart is, I mean, it's really a kind of back-of-the-fag packet assessment, but it's, it's trying to get a sense of the, the current reserves on the balance sheets of the FTSE 350 oil and gas producers. And if we applied this stranded assets theory to those reserves, what the companies are worth now. Most are tra- trading above quite a generous price for their total barrels of, of oil if they were going to if they were going to uh, get all of this out of the ground so the long-term implications here are if there are going to be caps on the amount of oil and gas that can be burnt if there are like to be caps on the amount these companies can sell what is that going to do to exploration what is that going to do to shareholder value i mean obviously there's enormous shareholder value on the balance sheets of these companies now but if they're going to continue with with costly capital expenditure programs sort of digging in far-flung places of the world and they may not even be able to burn these or sell these future assets where lies the the, the conflict with with uh, with shareholder value i guess is is the is the point there as yeah well. i mean i guess what we're seeing though is a lot of these guys are retrenching somewhat in terms of their their exploration capital expenditure hmm. um but actually i would mean, i thought it's quite intriguing that that shell for example um actually is looking pretty pretty reasonably cheap you know even with this problem that it faces. Yes, and uh, and to add to this, Shell and BP and the International Energy Agency are completely right when they when they say that our that on, on our current trajectory, we will still be burning fossil fuels almost guaranteed to 2050, 2040. So although the science is there, there's there's uh, there's huge intransigence and sloth at the pace of of these climate talks. So unless there is a, a, a real, real revolution in, in greener technologies or lower carbon intensive uh, energy efficient processes, then we're still likely to be reliant on fossil fuels well into the future. Well, that's not likely to happen in this country. So they've just slashed all of our uh, subsidies for, for any kind of renewable yeah, they've uh, gone, energy. They? They've all gone. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary. But there you go. OK, Alex, so, so what should investors do? So we have identified four potential strategies for investors uh, these are, by all means, not, not a complete list of strategies. One of the strategies is if you're so inclined to, to do nothing. And in many ways, if the, the current pace of talks is, is likely to progress at its, uh, its, its snail, snail pace, there's been the, the, the UN climate talks, it's unlikely that there are going to be significant legally binding punitive measures against burning carbon anytime soon. Yeah, we just, but, won't, we just won't have any coastline left. To, uh... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> But um, well, actually, well, we will, but it will just be a lot closer to to the middle of the country than it was before. But anyway, but but there are some other other approaches you can take. I mean, a number of uh, high profile uh, charities and uh, the Guardian Media Group is completely divested from fossil fossil fuel burning companies. Or so uh, that is one one strategy which you could take. It's one hundred percent divestment, though. It's uh, as we point out, it's folly to think that you are. You remove your exposure from carbon by by selling Shell or BP because every industry, our economy relies on burning carbon. If you hold property, uh, you know shares in a property company, um, uh, uh, there's a similar carbon intensity, in fact, to 
to the big fossil fuel groups when when building houses and when you're uh, building houses so there is the that there are there are various grades of of divestment you can uh, you can make but a good starting point and we've seen a lot of um uh, fund managers take this in the last couple of years is potentially to to divest from from coal um given that is likely to be first in the in the sights of of policymakers coal is as 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 many readers will know is is, is the most carbon intensive of mm. those of those fossil fuels and they're likely to face greater sanctions certainly the the uh, trajectory in, in in europe has been to scale back coal power stations china apparently although they're heavily reliant on coal the the last coal power plant was was commissioned in 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 beijing and they're looking to looking to scale that down as well or uh, another strategy could be hold and engage as well uh, which uh, may sound like a, a fruitless or thankless task the idea of uh, petitioning the the companies uh, you, you, uh, the oil, oil and gas companies you might hold shares in to think about ways they might pivot to different forms of energy but as a shareholder your question should be fielded at the agm so um if it, if it is something you're you either feel passionate about or you think there is an ex- existential long-term risk to your, your holding there, that might be one to consider as well. Yeah, we would always encourage uh, investors and our readers to go and uh, take their, their rightful place at AGMs, if if only to, to uphold their shareholder rights. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I've met fund managers, uh, there's, a, there's a group called Impacts, so I don't know if any, anyone yeah. you've come across them, but you know, their view is that we should be much more mindful about carbon risk. Throughout our portfolios, as you say, whatever industry we're looking at, you know, it's it's a it's a real problem. Uh, but also, of, of course, we have the the the, uh, the problem of keeping the lights on in this country. Mm. And that, you know, we've seen news from National Grid recently about you know real challenges that are taking place there. So I think, yeah, we should really be keeping an eye on this one. All right, thank you, Alex. Let's talk about our secondary feature, Harriet. We ran when was that? Over the summer, sometime August, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. An in-depth look at companies that are really the, the front line of, of finding cures mm-hmm. or treatments, uh, whatever you want to call it, for, for some of the real big disease challenges that, that humanity faces. We looked at cancer, yeah, first one, uh, and we got a great response from that, including a letter from uh, from one of the UK's leading oncologists, who uh, which we've published in this week's magazine, yeah. which readers might want to have a look at. This week, you've taken a look at Alzheimer's, which is uh, which is a terrible, terrible disease that afflicts many, many people, in, including some family of people in the office it's something that's really close to to a lot of us yeah i know i'm not the only one i I certainly started out on a very anecdotal note three years ago my own grandfather um succumbed to alzheimer's he spent the best part of his last decade with this horrible disease that was highly degenerative and and highly distressing for for my family and, and particularly for my grandmother so um i think you know starting with cancer was the obvious place to start because it's so broad and there are so many different types and it affects everyone Young and old. Um, mm. and I, think, I think that was the point that the uh, that, that uh, Dr. Skidmore, the, the the letter writer yeah. that we got, he was making that it's so broad that you know we often see in the in the popular press, you know, mm. cure for cancer on the way, and that's just not the case. No. And Alzheimer's seems perhaps even trickier. It's certainly trickier. I mean. Th- there are two things that I think you need to understand about Alzheimer's. Obviously, the demographic of, of these sorts of patients is generally older, but the biggest concern is that um, is the growth of what's known as early onset. So we're talking about people who are basically 45 and older starting to show um, early signs of, of having the disease um, and, and signs that it is hereditary. The second sort of awful point about it, I think, is that 
the patients who are suffering are very much unaware that they're ill, unlike a cancer patient who is sort of fully compassmentous and, and able to understand what's happening to them, however dreadful. Alzheimer's patients are fully unaware, usually, of what's happening, and they're just terribly confused by their surroundings. So trying to even get those sorts of patients in, into a regular treatment programme is, uh, is, is a lot harder. Mm. I'd like to say this feature is going to tell you exactly what companies you should invest in who are going to find the cure to Alzheimer's, but it just seems to be elusive. Yeah, I mean, elusive. there are some companies who are working towards improving the, the, the treatments that are available. Um, perhaps we could talk about a couple of them, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this is not something that's going to... And in fact, we saw recently headlines suggesting that some, a breakthrough had been made, but it's not that simple, is it? It's really not that simple. Um, a lot of the breakthroughs breakthroughs are not done in human studies which is which is the crucial point the breakthrough that you're referring to was um, an existing arthritis drug was was tested for alzheimer's but it was done in mice and although the mice responded positively and it was sort of you know hailed as this great breakthrough obviously they're going to have to run human studies and and that could be quite a while away the most obvious company i think for investors is um unfortunately not london listed but it's eli Lilly. They they have um, sort of the most advanced compound going through testing at the moment. Um, in, it's actually late stage as well, which sort of de-risks a lot of the profile. But yeah, I mean, a, a new drug for Alzheimer's that could actually reverse the condition as opposed to just manage the onset. Nothing's been approved since 2002. No, no, it's been a long time. So I guess, I mean, the point of these features, as I said, is not to, you know, say, go and invest in this biotech startup, which is on the cusp of finding a cure. Mm. It's really to help our readers understand the context in which companies are investigating potential yeah. treatments for all these diseases we're talking about. Absolutely, and it's, it's to sort of demystify those headlines that you saw all the time. I know when we were originally pitching these ideas and, and thinking about what we wanted the series to look like, I know that your big concern was that you were saying, you know, in the tabloid press especially, you see these headlines all the time about breakthroughs and cures. Um, and I think, you know, although, as depressing as it might be, what, what, what my features have, have tried to show is that there are no cures. There really aren't yet. There's, there, there are plenty of drugs on the market to manage conditions and and yeah sometimes in in cancer cancer patients they they do work and they do cure conditions but you know even in cancer you have to understand those patients go into remission and they have to go back for five yearly checkups so you know it's a bit like being in recovery your entire life actually Mm. i mean you know my worry sometimes is that you see perhaps some some you know less established companies making very bold claims Mm. at the junior end of the market in in particular And, and yeah we know we've got to be careful with, with uh, ha- how we invest in such companies. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a dose of realism, uh, depressing though it may be. Um, I think this is really, really very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think uh, these features are, are different to what the Investors Chronicle usually does, as in there's a huge, huge amount of research in there, if I say so myself. I, honestly, I, um, d- I don't know how you do it. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've deep, many years of experience of, of looking at, uh, at well, these types of companies. not that old, John, but, you know. Um, in, yeah. Enough. Enough. <laughs> And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly taking an interest in, in the industry and sort of keeping an eye. I mean, w- what is quite encouraging is that with modern technology, these things are moving faster than ever. So um, although, you know, saying 2002 was the last approval sounds like ages ago, I would say in the last five years, Eli Lilly in particular has moved this thing through remarkably quickly. And there's a huge amount of public support for it, as there should be. You know, profits in, in pharmaceuticals is always a touchy subject. But quite frankly, I think if, if Eli Lilly manages to come up with 
with an Alzheimer's drug that not only manages the condition effectively, but actually starts to reverse it, which is really the crucial thing to understand about Alzheimer's, then, you know, all profits where profits are due, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there seems to be funding for this. I mean, not massive amounts of funding. I mean, not massive, but um, I I think one of the most um, encouraging things that we point to in in the features is the setup of of a new fund for this. You know, uh, governments are really trying to put as much money as they can into it. There have been failures in the past, obviously, Cameron's cancer drug fund um, you know went bankrupt fairly quickly and and really didn't get off the ground but um, you know I I think they are trying to tap into a public consciousness because there is one. And also because there is a massive cost in terms of the care that's needed to be provided to people who who unfortunately suffer from. Yeah I mean I was talking to plenty of industry insiders about this and saying you know why you know trying to come up with companies that are investigating this is actually fairly thin on the ground um, from an investment point of view big companies I mean big pharma and you know people that I was speaking to were saying you know they've just had their fingers burnt so many times by so many clinical failures I think it was a shocking statistic that I found that something like 99% of potential Alzheimer's drugs put through by big pharma over the last 10 years have failed Mm. so you know, it it does make for some scary reading, as in, you know, it it sounds like a condition that, um, you know, a cure may well, well may well not be found in our lifetime. But um, that doesn't mean that if you want to sleep well at night, maybe put some money into into trying to find one. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant work, Harriet. It's really, really amazing. And we, we've got more of these coming in the, in the future, looking at some other areas. Yeah, one so. more, I think. Uh, one more. Part three will be sort of a combined one on HIV and diabetes, um, two other sort of, you know, global epidemics, really. So. I, might, I might squeeze two more out of you. Yeah. Actually, but, uh, <laughs> no, as I said, amazing stuff. Um, there are some companies here who are, who are working on this. Uh, yeah. Mostly not UK companies. Unfortunately, unfortunately not. But, um, um, there, as I said, there is a bit of a dearth of innovation in this country. A lot of American companies, a lot of big American biotechs going after it, which, you know, is is not impossible um it's interesting we we do mention glaxo by name because they did actually shelve a drug um which axavant um took on so which is a u.s company so it's it's interesting to see the the uk kind of turn its back on it but there's always more funding in the u.s there always has been that yeah. that's nothing new so and, uh, europe europe has europe solid yeah. levels of funding as well yeah. despite what we think of europe and its economic troubles. <laughs> so yeah there you go okay brilliant thanks harriet um and uh, yeah that pretty much covers uh, everything we uh, we need to talk about in the podcast obviously there's uh, there's plenty more in the magazine this week lots and lots of results uh, we've only really touched on food this week we have so, yeah uh, but yeah pl- plenty more there the sector focus this week is on social media and ways you can get exposure to that lots in the personal finance section uh, this week which you'll hear about on their podcast and lots in the comment section uh, which i'd urge you all to go off and read so thanks again bradley alex harriet and uh, graham and dom over in the control room and uh, let's catch up again next week uh, in the meantime go pick up the magazine four pound fifty all good news agents and see you again soon bye-bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.